Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 13, and I'll begin reading verse 1 in just a moment. What we're going to do for the next several weeks culminating in Easter is look at the sacrifice of Christ. Look at the things that we read in the Gospel of John that shows us who Jesus was and what he came to do and how he came to make an eternal difference in our lives. I hope April the 9th, Easter Sunday, will be a really big day for you. We, we expect about 4,000 people here. But it is the day, it's the day for us to show off Jesus. It's the day for us to praise Christ. It's the day for us to rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus and one day our resurrection as well because of what God has done. There are all kinds of people who need to know the Lord. There are all kinds of people who are hungering and thirsting for something that they don't know, and you have the opportunity to help them. So would you start seeking that person that you can invite, that you can bring with you, that you could say, come to be with us on Easter and see who we are and what we do and what matters to us. So we're going to talk about Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf that makes all the difference. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, the week of the crucifixion. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying with the, them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Because Simon Peter and all of them knew that only servants wash feet, and that masters never did that. Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. 
Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. You should wash one another's feet. Truly, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then I want to drop down to 30, verse 34 and 35, the, the heart of everything, the gist of who we are. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, loving one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. About three years ago, a new phrase came up in America. At least it was a new phrase to me, one that I had never used before, and I know I had not heard it 10 years ago, and I'm absolutely certain that I'd not heard it 40 years ago. Because now in America, we talk about deaths of despair. And when people talk about deaths of despair, they're talking about people who die either from an accidental overdose or a deliberate overdose. And they talk about people who, who die at their own hand. And last year in America, about 100,000 people died of overdose. And a huge number of people died of suicide. Now, this was what was said this week. And if you go back and you look at the history of it, you, you know that it is true. Here's what happened in World War II. America lost 400 plus thousand soldiers on the battlefield. In a four-year period of time, 400,000 men and women. But last year in America, more people were lost by deaths of despair than the, the bloodiest year in a, for Americans in World War II. Somehow that cries out that something needs to be done. And the part that you and I can do is share the good news, to share the hope that we have in Christ. We're going to look at the sacrifice of Christ, but not so that we can just say we know the story, but so that we can live the story and so that we can experience who God is and what God has done for us in Christ to show that the hope that we have in him. Because deaths of despair are deaths of hopelessness. They're, they're deaths of feeling abandoned. 
their depths of feeling that I'm all alone. But what the gospel shows us is, is that we are not alone and that we will never be alone because God has given us his son. And when we trust him, God sends his spirit to be a part of us. What we know is that we will never be without hope because as long as there is God, there is hope. What we know is that God loves us and that God cares for us. And when I come to church, I know that I'm surrounded by a loving community of faith, of people who look at me, not just the pastor, but who look at me, the person, and who love me and care about me in spite of who I am, but because they do that because of who Jesus is. If you're a teenager, I can't think of anything more important for you than to know that you are loved by godly people some of whom you don't know their name and some of whom don't know your name. But that you are loved of God and you are cared for and that they have you on their heart and on their mind and they want the best for you and they want to bless you. I can't imagine anything more important than know that that I've been created in the image of God and that God knows my name and that the creator of the universe knows my name and that I can call upon him and he hears my prayer and he cares deeply for me. That's what I want us to see today. I want us to see the love of God. I want us to see the love of God found in Christ. I want us to see the love of God that he told us to have for other people. So let's think about genuine love, and let's think about God's love. The thing that you see, first of all, from this passage of Scripture is that God's love is total and complete, that it is everything that we need, and it is everything that we want. I remember the first time I I understood that verse, John 13, verse 1. Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world. He was talking about his disciples, not just the 12, but all of the others, women and men, who followed along with him and who could be called his disciples. You and I get the idea in our mind that there were just 13 who traveled together, but there were many others than that. And the women were particularly important because many of them provided for the needs of those 12 plus Jesus. And so they, when Jesus, when it came to the last week of the ministry of Jesus, the Bible says that having loved them who were his own in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them totally and completely. Now, the gospel of John is an amazing gospel. 
Almost always, we, when people become new believers, we send them to the Gospel of John. It tells you about faith and it tells you about belief, but the Gospel of John is different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels because they talk about, they use a similar outline to show the story of Jesus. But the Gospel of John was written after all of those had been in existence maybe for 20 or 30 years. And John, the last surviving disciple, the only one who was not martyred because of his faith, wrote the Gospel. And it's interesting, 21 chapters. The first 12 tell you the first three years of the ministry of Jesus. 12 chapters covering three years. No wonder John said that if everything Jesus said and did could be recorded, all of the world wouldn't be able to describe the significance of what Jesus had done. Then chapters 13 through 17, 12 chapters covering three years, five chapters, 13 through 17, covering one night in the upper room. And these verses come from the upper room. And then chapters 18 and 19 tell us about the crucifixion. Chapter 20 tells us about the resurrection. And chapter 21 tells us of the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. When Jesus went to the cross, he gave himself totally and completely in love for them. What the Gospel of John tells us is that you and I have a loving Heavenly Father who loved you enough in the year 2023 to have sent His Son for you so many years ago to die upon the cross that you might know Him and you might have hope and you might have a future and you might understand what God wants to do within you. What we find in Scripture is that God loves us, and He loves us deeply and completely. I love uh, so deeply the words that John wrote in what you and I know as the epistle of John, 1 John chapter 4, and it's verses 7 and 8, but I want to go beyond that. Listen to this. John writes it this way, Dear friends, what did Jesus say? I called you friends. We sang a few minutes ago about that we have a friend in Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, I've called you friends. Listen to the words of John. Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? How can you make that kind of absolute statement? Because God is love. It's not that just that he just thinks lovingly. It's not that he feels lovingly. But God is love. And then John says, this is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Do you hear that? What does God want you to do? God wants you to live 
God wants you to live joyfully. God wants you to live vibrantly. God wants you to live with him in mind, and he wants you to live for him, to serve him, to love other people, to show the love of God, to share the hope that you have in Christ. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. In other words, to make us right before God, to let us stand in the presence of God, to know that we have hope and deliverance through him. Genuine love is total and complete. But there's a second thing. Genuine love serves. It does. It works. It honors God by by what it does. God calls us to love, but that doesn't mean to think. It doesn't mean to feel. But of course, thinking is a lot of loving, and feeling is a lot of loving. But the word, the word for love in the Bible, I always say it to, to our men on Tuesday mornings, the word agape is a manly word because it's talking not just about feeling and thinking, it is talking about doing. It is talking about serving. It is talking about sacrificing. Jesus himself made it so plain. And what what Jesus did always was to give us an example. Mark chapter 10 talks about that example. He talks about that Jesus came not just to be served, but to serve. And why did he say that? Because Jesus was going with the disciples, you can almost see it, Jesus is leading the pack, and then there's a space, and then there is maybe most of the disciples, maybe not all, but most of the disciples are are walking along and they're debating and they're arguing and they're talking. And when they got to the destination, Jesus said, what were you discussing along the way. And my guess is there was an awkward silence before someone said, we were trying to decide who is the greatest among us. Who's number one? And here's what Jesus said, not even the Son of Man came to be served but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom from sin. The word ransom and the word rescue and the word redeem are are similar, and they come from the idea of being bought with a price. You and I have been sold into sin and sold into slavery, and until we come to faith in Christ, we're still in sin and we're still possessed of sin. But Jesus came to ransom us. He came to rescue us. He came to redeem us. He called, he came to give us life and to give us hope. And genuine love is like Jesus who came to serve us and who came to save us. Genuine love 
is self-giving and it is humble. And that's the whole idea of washing their feet. Jesus, after Judas had left, after Judas had gone to betray him, Jesus took a bowl and he took a towel and he removed his outer garment. He tied the towel around him and he got on his knees and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, you and I read that and we've read it before and we think about it and we don't think much about it. But I promise you, those disciples thought everything about it. Those disciples who had seen Jesus talk about so many radical things. Remember, I talked about not long ago how Jesus turned everything upside down. Well, maybe the thing that he turned upside down more than anything else was taking a towel and a basin and washing their feet because that's only what a servant did. And most of those servants would have been slaves. Of all the things, what did Jesus do? He humbled himself. What did Paul say about Jesus? That Jesus left the throne above, came to earth, and humbled himself. That the Romans, the time period in which the New Testament was written, and the time period in which Jesus came, the Romans hated the idea of humility. They thought it was the worst of the vices instead of the greatest of the virtues. But Jesus humbled himself. I don't have to tell you that even in churches, it is difficult to humble ourselves, to get rid of our pride, and to be self-giving. And so that's why Jesus gave us an example, not an ordinance to be to be followed like baptism in the Lord's Supper, but an example. And what is the example? Well, not washing feet, although that would be okay, but rather giving ourselves in service and devotion and love to one another. Think about what the Apostle Paul said. When Paul talked about love, he talked about service, and he talked about humility, and he talked about self-giving. When I have a marriage ceremony, I almost always read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know that everybody there is thinking about marriage and love, and, and they should be. But these verses are not a, only about marriage. Who are they written to? They're written to the church. They're written to how you and I are to live today. They're written about how you and I are to treat each other. The people around you, the people in your small group Bible study, a connect group, the people that you run into in the hallway, the people that you know generally, we're to love one another. This is to characterize who we are. Think about it this way. Sometimes we, we look at churches and we're amazed when we find one that is unified and loving. 
Should that be the unusual? Or should that characterize every church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Should it be something that we look at a person and say, well, here is a loving person in the church. Should that be unusual or should that describe us all? And should we go out of our way to love one another, to humble ourselves, to give ourselves as a sacrifice in the same way that Jesus was willing to serve? Listen to these words. Here's what Paul says. Here's what Love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. We have a slang term. We talk about dissing somebody else or being dissed. Well, that's what it means. Love doesn't diss other people. It doesn't dishonor. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The, the next three words, I stopped my reading at that point, but the next three words are tremendous words because the next three words says, love never fails. And I remember a Bible teacher talking about this years ago, and he said that what that means is love never quits, love never gives up, love never fails in the sense of an engine running and then the engine fails. And maybe that's what it means. And maybe that's the way that we would look at it. But frankly, in the last few weeks, I've looked at this very differently. Let's think about it this way. Let's put it in the context of a husband and a wife or parents and children or children and adult parents. Let's put it in those terms. What if you had a husband and a wife and both of them followed the words of Holy Scripture and both of them believed every word of Scripture? Can I make an aside? Do you believe every word of Scripture if you don't follow every word of Scripture? Or would you be a husband or a wife who said, well, you just don't know my wife or you don't know my husband? What if you had a husband and wife where both of them decided, by the grace of God, by the power of God in my life, if God will allow me to do so, and I'm going to pray every day that he will do so, can you imagine what it would be like if you had a husband and a wife who sought to be patient, who sought to be kind, who sought not to be self-seeking? What is the most famous phrases used by husbands and wives who can't get along? You know what it is. He 
she doesn't meet my needs. What if you had a husband, a wife, who was patient, kind, not self-seeking, not proud. It's all about me. It's what I want. Not boasting. How about this? Not keeping a record of wrongs. What if you had a husband and a wife who trusted? By the way, if you are a young adult, I want to tell you, look for this in a spouse. Will this person be like this for me 40 years from now, 50 years from now? See how that works? If you put that in context, if you have two people who follow the words of Scripture, what does love in the Bible mean? Love means looking for the best for the other person. Can that kind of love fail? Within the power of God and the work of God's Spirit? Remember, if you're a young adult, anticipating marriage, thinking about marriage generally, or very seriously thinking about marriage. What does the Bible say? Paul said in Corinthians, don't be unequally yoked together, which certainly fits marriage, but it also fits a business and a partnership and a lot of other things. And part of the reason would be because the marriage where one person is patient, one person is kind, one person doesn't boast, one person isn't proud, one person doesn't keep a record of wrongs, and the other has no idea of what that means is going to be very difficult. Love is self-giving, and it is humble. Genuine love is filled with light, and truth. It's an interesting thing. I hope you read all of John chapter 13 because at the end of verse 30, G Judas got up and left. In a sense, he'd been called out, though the other disciples didn't know that. Jesus told him to do whatever he had to do. And Judas got up and went out and betrayed Jesus. And John the apostle says, and it was night. And you can't read that without thinking, man, did John nail it. It was night. It was night in the soul of Judas. It was dark in the soul of Judas. He left the light of the world and he went into eternal darkness. He lived in darkness and he went out in the night. Love, genuine love, God's love is filled with light and truth. Jesus is the light of the world. God is the one who is light. In him there is no darkness. There's not even a shadow, not even a hint of darkness. He is the light of the world and he is the truth. And when you read the story of Judas, what a terrible, horrific, story to have been right there with the person of Jesus and not believe. But what that shows us is, how many people of us said, I would believe if 
If I saw somebody raised from the dead, if I saw the feeding of the 5,000, if I saw Jesus walking on the water, if I saw the blind seeing and the lame walking, Judas saw all of that. It's not the seeing. It is the faith within us. Great question to be asked is, do I have saving faith? Have I put my faith in Christ? Have I trusted Him? Have I surrendered my life to Him? Is He my all? Genuine love is filled with light and truth, and genuine love follows the example of Jesus. And Jesus, having loved his own, loved them to the end. And he told them to love one another. The, the love of God is genuine. It is constant. It is, it is self-sacrificing. It is dependable. And God wants us to have it. It is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. John, 1 John says, if you, if you know God, you, that love is going to pour out. It's going to be seen in other people. If, if there is no love within you, there is no God within you. That's what he is saying. We follow the example of Jesus. I love the, the story of Tertullian. Tertullian was born about 150 A.D. So he wasn't an eyewitness to what happened to Jesus, but he was within those four or five generations. Think about it this way. My parents, generation one, both deceased now. My generation is two. My children are generation three. My grandchildren are generation four. That's about a 90-year span. But in those four generations, there's a lot of truth passed from one to the other. My grandchildren never knew my, my father, and yet I can tell them what he said, how he was, how proud he would have been of them. Tertullian, therefore, is a great example of the truth of the gospel. And here's what he said. The pagans have branded Christians. Now, that sounds painful. That's not what he meant. He meant psychologically. They see our brand as the brand of love, and they say, see how they love one another. And they follow the example of Jesus. God calls us to do that, to be like Jesus, to open our hearts in commitment and faith to him and to receive him as our Lord and Savior. He calls us to say, God, I want to be like you. He calls us to take a look at how we interact with others, and, and he wants us to say, God, I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to be loving toward the people around me.
Would you say that today unto God in commitment of giving your life and your devotion unto him? Let's stand together, and I'm going to pray. And as I pray, would you pray? Would you ask Jesus to bless you, to help you to be what he wants you to be and to live for him? And would you say unto Jesus, God, I want that atoning sacrifice for my sin that I would know you and would be right before you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for the faith of godly people through the centuries who have been faithful unto you. God, would you speak now to our hearts? Would you draw people to yourself? You draw people to faith and commitment and service. Would you work in our hearts and our lives?